Last week was Orations Week here at Wyoming Catholic College, truly a highlight of our life together as a school. This is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz, and you're listening to the After Dinner Scholar from Wyoming Catholic College. Orations Week is the culmination of a process our seniors began in the spring of their junior year. With the help of a faculty advisor, they agree upon a thesis topic. Reading begins in the summer, and writing their thesis begins in the fall, with the final draft due in early December. Then during the spring semester, each senior presents his or her thesis in the form of an oration. Classes are suspended and classrooms are crowded as underclassmen, faculty, staff, friends, and family gather to hear each senior speak for 30 minutes and then field questions for another 30 minutes. First from the faculty panel grading the oration and then from the audience. I had the privilege of being the second reader and thus part of the oration panel for Miss Abigail O'Brien's thesis, The Age of Gnosticism, Transgenderism, Transhumanism, and Human Identity in the Digital Age. Miss O'Brien is our guest this week, and I began by asking her why she chose that topic. Yeah, it was a bit of a process, I think, landing on this topic. It started with my junior author project, Every junior year, you, you sort of choose an author to do an intensive study of for the semester. And I chose Jacques Ellul, who writes on technology um, in one of his major works. And I had a, you know, a wonderful semester studying him and wanted to kind of continue that thought in my senior thesis. But over the summer, I had an opportunity to go to um, a week-long seminar through the Zephyr Institute. And I started to realize a lot of the, the relationships um, between digital technology, transgenderism, and a lot of the, the bigger ideas and the connections. And so when I came back from that, I spoke to my advisor about, you know, changing my topic a little bit to narrow in more on that. Well, let's begin with definitions. First, what is Gnosticism? Yeah, so Gnosticism has to do with the sort of uh, secret kind of spiritual knowledge. You, you often think of Gnosticism in a religious context, but when I'm talking about Gnostic, I'm talking about kind of this uh, secret divine knowledge. Mm -hmm. And a separation of mind and body. Yes, that is a key element of it. The, yeah. yeah, the separation of mind and body. <laughs> and what about digital technology? Yeah, so there are a lot of different definitions of digital technology. A lot of them are very technical. They talk about things like ability to process data or data storage. But I came up with my own definition um, to sort of suit my purposes in my thesis narration. So I define digital technology as contemporary technologies which rely on cyberspace and by which one engages through interaction with as opposed to consumption of. And what would you include? So that would include things like the internet, um, social media, so you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or a video game such as Fortnite where you're engaging with other people. Okay. Which are online games. Exactly. Okay. Uh, now what about transgenderism? Even within uh, the transgender community, there's definitely been a shift in what constitutes transgenderism. And primarily what it denotes is that someone does not identify with the sex they were born. Um, someone wants to transition to be present as and to be and live out life of different gender. And what has shifted within the world of transgenderism is the entry of non-binary identities, which can include a lot of different things. It could mean someone is both male and female, neither male nor female, something besides male or female. But we now have non-binary transgender people, 
within the realm of transgender. But it's the idea that you're inside your one thing and your outer body doesn't conform to that, so you fix it. Exactly. It's the idea that the mind has a gender um, mm -hmm. different than the biological sex of the body. And what about transhumanism? Yeah. <laughs> um, transhumanism has so many different definitions, and they do vary a bit. Some transhumanists are more engaged with like medical technology or you know some of the hacking the body engineering the body to to be upgraded to be improved some transhumanists look at digital cloning um, existence as like in the form of a mind file or being able to you know upload your mind into a robot but the definition i really like is a definition from mary harrington um, in an interview or a debate she had with a transhumanist just a few weeks ago and she calls it a worldview in which human nature has no special cultural or political status, and in which it's not just legitimate, but morally necessary to use technology to improve on that nature. So fundamentally, it's this idea of improving on human nature via technology, and in some way, disappearance of human nature. Okay, and that can mean anything but be from uploading your consciousness into the cloud uh, to a chip that will help you perform better. Exactly. That sort of thing. Yeah. Now you make the argument that these are connected in a logical way. What, what's the connection? So the primary part of my argument is that I talk about how man desires to transcend. I call it a Gnostic temptation that man has. And we see this even in our own lives of just, we want to get to the top of mountains to, to reach the top. And we also see this like Adam and Eve, they fell prey to the desire that they could be more than human. And so first off, yeah, the first line of my argument is that we want to transcend. And then I talk about how digital technology offers us that kind of limitless reality. I say, I talk about how man experienced being a social animal and being in a relationship without his body for the first time online. And he's, you sort of can present yourself any way you want online. And within that reality, there are no contradictions. And what this started to do is it started to shift a man's view of his identity. He no longer viewed himself as this like united body and soul, but as this mind. And when I bring that into transgenderism and transhumanism, I talk about those as kind of the contemporary manifestations of this desire to transcend limit. And I say how a lot of that idea was brought in by digital technology because it sort of showed us that, you know, we should treat our body like we would the avatar. It should be this matter that we can, you know, manipulate, form, shape at will. Because I can go online and be anybody I want. Exactly. So why shouldn't you expect that from your body too? That it should right. do whatever you want. So if I can be a woman online, I, why shouldn't I use medical technologies to do the same thing? Absolutely. Uh, in real life. Yeah. And then transhumanism is just an extension of that. I said in my oration, I have a quote from Martine Rothblatt, who is a major, a major voice in transgender and transhuman um, philosophy. Um, in favor of it. Exactly. And he talks about a little bit how he says freedom of gender is therefore the gateway to a freedom of form. And I think that's exactly what you think about in transhumanism is this, yeah, freedom of form in what we consider to be our humanity, that it should be expanded. And it seems like transgenderism makes fluid man's understanding of his gender, but transhumanism makes fluid just his humanity. Um, now, how does that logical connection play out in the lives of young people? You talked about that, about uh, young, you know, teenagers wanting to transition. I have, I have some quotes from some authorities on this who, yeah, like, 
like you're saying, it's not just a philosophical connection or, or a connection that makes sense logically, but it's actually what is being played out. So Abigail Schreier writes a book, Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. And she has a quote from Dr. Lisa Lippman. And she said, the clear majority, 65% of the adolescent girls who had discovered transgender identity in adolescence out of the blue, had done so after a period of prolonged social media immersion. Um, and I have a similar quote, um, perhaps even a stronger one from Abigail Favalli, who writes the newly published book, Genesis of Gender. And she says, in all the transition stories I've heard, the internet played a key role. So there is a ton of evidence that the internet is propelling a lot of, a lot of young people to undergo kind of these changes in their lives in changing their gender. And you talked about how girls, particularly during puberty, don't want to be girls. Exactly. Say something about that. Yeah, I think fundamentally that's just a very difficult time to be a body. Yeah, undergoing puberty is a time when you feel very much at odds with your physicality. It um, is undergoing all these changes, feels like it's attacking you, it's difficult, uh, perhaps painful, perhaps uncomfortable. And one of the big things I talk about today and that Abigail Schreier talks about is that kind of today we have an out. If you take a, a young girl who's undergoing the throes of puberty and you tell her there's an escape from that, then it makes a lot of sense why she would want to, to go that route. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just takes these, these pills and... Uh, exactly, yeah. yeah. And there's, there's an idea too that it's a lot of, a lot of um, young women who are transitioning. This is some of what I was getting at with the non-binary identities. It's not so much that they want to be a boy, but they just don't want to be a girl. G.K. Chesterton once uh, said something to the effect of feminism is the triumph of masculinism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in third wave feminism, feminism today especially, it's all about competing with men. It's being just like men and doing what men do. Well, I mean, if that's the goal, why would you want to be a woman if you don't have to be? Exactly. Yeah. And the, the feminism connection I talk about quite a bit in my thesis and how it really paved the way for a lot of this view of the body as tool. Because even the pill is an idea that, you know, most women are on birth control pills. And it's an idea that you have to be, you know, undergoing some sort of intervention for your body to kind of work as it should. Because we today expect our bodies to, to work like a man's. We, we don't want to have uh, the risk of pregnancy because men don't. And so there's, there's this idea that um, medical intervention is in some way necessary for us to kind of fulfill who we're meant to be or something like that. In what way is transgenderism transhuman? I think basically transgenderism, I would consider a prior subset of transhumanism. One, one element of that is definitely the technology itself and that a lot of transhumanist ideology, well, a lot of it is here, a lot of it is still in the works to completely lose our, our humanity in the way we know it. We, we do still exist as bodies for the most part, which, which is great. But I think that's one thing is that a lot of the technologies, medical technologies or otherwise to actualize transgenderism is here today. Um, so in that sense, it was chronologically prior, but I think also like feminism flowed into transgenderism and then flowed into transhumanism. There are all these sort of further and further developments of, you know, body as tool to body as at my disposal and for whatever I want to then body is obsolete. Now, are my glasses and my hearing aids a form of uh, transhumanism? We do improve our bodies. 
Yeah. And that's not altogether bad. I'm glad I can hear you. <laughs> no, it's a... Uh... That's very true, but I think that comes down to a question of which limits are inviolable. Because obviously there are, there's a certain way that maybe having glasses is, is breaking a limit, and it's the limit of your natural eyesight to be better. But when we're talking about gender, gender transitions or then these, these ways that we're losing our humanity, I consider those to be the inviolable limits, the things which we absolutely cannot change. And it, it seems like that's not, that's not exactly the case with something like glasses or hearing aids. And I talk a little bit as well um, in my thesis and oration about how the problem isn't that we want to break limits. The problem that has arisen today is that we believe there are no limits. And so it seems like there, there's a way too that even, even some of our desire to, to improve ourselves is so, just so natural. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's sort of a, a scientific imperative that says if we can do it, we ought to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what can we do? I mean, you know, do we burn our modems and drown our smartphones and unfriend Facebook and uh, <laughs> all the rest? The, the existence of digital technology is not something we can undo. But I, I've sort of come to the conclusion that the solution is a return to three experiences of reality and of invaluable limits. And that would be nature, the body, and ultimately death. And explain that. Yeah. The, the return to nature, I think, is perhaps the most simple. And I'm, I mean nature kind of in the outdoor sense. But I propose not a quantitative return to nature, like you see so often of, you know, how many minutes should I spend outside or something like that, but a qualitative one. Because I think a lot of people today have actually lost sight of the power nature has over them. Our, our reality is just very mediated. You know, you, you wake up and go out to your garage, get in your car, go to work, come back, and you might have not even felt the temperature outside. So I think man needs to intentionally place himself in a position where he kind of realizes nature's undeniable and forcible power over himself. You know, obviously in a lot of ways, I think we're doing a really good job of that here at Wyoming Catholic College with our outdoor programs where we don't always have a car to jump into at every moment and we have to work with nature, but ultimately we're subordinate to it. Mm -hmm. And then the body, I talk a lot about the experience of strength and the way that strength is self-contained you know, you, you desire this change in yourself, you put in all the work and then you see the results. And it seems like that's a really beneficial thing about being a body is that we can use our bodies to, to be strong. And um, I think a return to the experience of the body is one of the elements to, to combating some of these ideologies. And I think another, another side to that would be pain, which is just, we do have a lot of ways to kind of mask what our body is feeling, even just, you know, taking a preventative Advil or something like that and, and actually encouraging ourselves to feel what our body is feeling is a way of, of uniting mind and body more. And then ultimately, um, the last one I talk about, the experience of death, some of that is very tied to nature. You know, even just an artificial front yard or turf or something like that causes us to lose the simple experience of death of the land or, you know, a lot of the food we eat we're, we're not seeing that animal die who's given us that food. We're just a lot more separated from death today. A pork chop doesn't look anything like a, like a pig. Exactly, exactly. And, and an interesting note here is, is birth as, as a way of recovering some of these experiences because it involves strength and pain. It is a sexed experience. And kind of like I was talking about with nature, it's outside of our control. We're ultimately subordinate to it, but there's a lot you can do to prepare. Oration's week for me is an annual reminder of two things. First, 
What we do at Wyoming Catholic College is of enormous value today and in the future. And second, what we do, we do really well. By the time they're seniors, our students know how to develop a command of the facts. They know how to reason to logical conclusions, integrating what they've learned. And they have the skills required to communicate their ideas honestly and persuasively in a public forum. It is wonderful. If you know young people who would benefit from a Wyoming Catholic college education, encourage them to explore the college by visiting our website, wyomingcatholic.edu, and by contacting our admissions office for answers to their questions and to arrange a visit. I think they'll be glad they did. For Wyoming Catholic College, this is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz.